welcome to the OME Talks podcast. I'm your host, David Petro. This is the third episode this season, and we continue to highlight OME 2021 sessions as previews for their online webinars. This week, we have Caroline Gingrich and Alita Klassen, who will be giving us a preview of their webinar, Using Portfolios to Develop Resilient Mathematicians in Grade 9. And although the vehicle for their talk on portfolios is Grade 9 Math, I think that these ideas are not only applicable to any grade, but more importantly, any subject. So given that, let's get to our conversation. Okay, so I've got uh, Carolyn Gingrich and Alita Clausen here. How are you doing tonight? Great. We're doing well. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and what your relationship is to mathematics. So I am Carolyn Gingrich. And uh, I always enjoyed math and problem solving when I was in high school. I didn't really think I would go into a math field. And at some point in my undergrad, I decided I wanted to become a teacher. And so that was my main goal. And I figured that math teachers are always needed. (laughs) So I also had a desire to see students feel confident in themselves. And rightly or wrongly, we know that Math is also often seen as that gatekeeper or that that measure of smartness. So I figured that if I could teach math in a way that helped students to see themselves as capable math people, that in general, I would be contributing to their positive self-image as a learner. Uh, and their self-confidence and success in school. So, so I became a math teacher and uh, I, I did enough courses in my undergrad that I could, that I could become a math teacher. And then in uh, 2015, I had the opportunity to participate in a learning and coaching program that our board was running. And that's where I met Alita. And it was intended to build capacity for applied math in particular. And we had intense PD, collaboration with other educators, and extra time that we could implement some new practices. And this is where math teaching became really exciting. I dramatically changed everything that I was doing. I found a way to teach in a way that was a lot of fun and joyful and had a really positive impact on students. So yeah, so that's kind of my background and how I came to math teaching. My journey is is a little bit similar to Carolyn's. I started out in undergrad and in math and and I was a very good math student in high school. Like things made sense generally. I did the student thing really well and Um, And then I got to university and took all the core math courses or required math courses, prerequisites, and then discovered that I wasn't so keen to dig into higher level math beyond what was required and was really, really interested in the English courses that were being offered at University of Waterloo. And so I switched out of math, but got enough credits to have a minor in mathematics And I resisted teaching, actually, for a long time, um, because we often resist what our parents want us to do, but then came to teaching kind of after a graduate degree and 
I taught in Attawapiskat and I've taught at Waterloo Collegiate here in Waterloo. And I was always teaching a combination of math and English. And so math to me was kind of this subject that seemed to be like, uh, I knew that it was very important for kids to develop their numeracy skills, their problem solving skills. And I knew that I was a friendly teacher and um, a teacher that kids would be okay with being in my class. And then it wasn't until the um, math LST program that Carolyn referred to where we both met that totally transformed my approach to teaching as well. I discovered a renewed joy for watching my students learn. And I had more strategies that I could use in the classroom to help them get excited about what they were learning and to help them have access to like mathematical concepts that that were very, I don't know, that were kind of out of reach before. And so I was part of that program for a half year, and then I became an LST for LSTs, so a learning support teacher for LSTs, and would travel between schools and work with people in their classrooms and got to see some amazing things as I was supporting teachers in that way. And then I became a consultant and led that PD every week for our board. And that was an incredible learning opportunity to spend two years learning and talking with other educators and attending conferences like OAME. That was my first interaction with OAME um, to be able to go and learn from other people in workshops and find this amazing Twitter math community and people who are sharing what they were doing in their classes and the excitement they were having. And so I think that experience has been like very transformational for me. I returned to the classroom because I had learned so much and had very little opportunity to put it into practice. And so I wanted to try all the things in my classroom. And I combined that with a, um, we had been accepted for a TLLP grant where a cross-curricular group at my school were looking at how we could do feedback, like focus on feedback instead of grades or marks. And so that was a very exciting opportunity as well to kind of like not only bring like joy and experience and creative strategies to a math classroom, but also do it through the lens that we're not focusing on marks as the end goal, but learning as the end goal. And now um, I would say that uh, in my social circle outside of teaching, I am known as someone who loves math. And in fact, there's a lyric in a song that my extended family has made that Alita will bring the math to the family gathering. Um, so anyway, that's a little bit about my journey. Right now, currently, I have the role of itinerant coach in our board. So there's five of us and we have split up our 16 schools between the five of us and we are supporting grade nine math teachers while also teaching one section each of grade nine math. So it's a kind of hybrid consultant teaching position um, that is also very exciting to be part of. So I really like that idea of um, if you're in some sort of consultant or support role that you're also in the classroom. Uh, I know you mentioned that you sort of, you went back to uh, class, class and you wanted to try all the things. And I'm, I'm curious, I'm actually curious about that particular uh, 
thing because I I had that experience as well where I was out of the classroom for a while in a support role and then went back for a bit and then back as a support role. And in that time that I went back for a bit, I did want to try all the things. And I actually found it very difficult to try to um, to try to manage all the things I wanted to try in that, that short amount of time. And then I actually struggled that, uh, when I went back into the classroom. I'm wondering if you, if you had any experiences like that. Yeah, I think I put a lot of pressure on myself to to try all the things that I had been promoting because I strongly believed that they would work. And I think for me, yeah, some things were not successful and some things were. I tried really hard to be reflective and um, intentional. I, I was also teaching grade 10 applied and grade 11 college courses right at the beginning when I returned to the classroom. And so I was really wanting, I was really motivated to have students who had had possibly negative experiences with math enjoy it or gain access to like difficult concepts or complicated concepts, I guess I should say. And um, yeah, so some things didn't work. It was a lot of energy and time put into trying to make things new or try to do things in a different way. I think the time between teaching and then consulting and then teaching again was a good reset. And because I was teaching courses I had never taught before, I didn't have anything to fall back on. I had to do it differently. So I think that also helped. Now, Alita, you you mentioned uh, getting involved with OME there, and I'm wondering if, if uh, you can tell me a little bit about how you first either heard of OME or, or got involved in OME. I can talk to that. We, I think it was in 2017, was, we were talking about this today, I think was the first time we attended OME. And because Alita was working in that consultant position at the time, she was going through that avenue. And then um, because we had been part of this LST group, I heard about it and there was a few other of us who went and it was, so it was the first time that we had attended and um, it was so great. It was really fun. And we met all these, like Alita was saying, this Twitter community that we had found, um, all these Ontario educators who had been really inspirational to us on our journey toward changing our, our practice. And so, yeah, that was, that was how we came to OAME and, um, and that was really great. And then in, um, we had planned to present um, these sessions that we're we're talking about here and in 2020, but of course that got um, moved online and it just felt like too much to try to, to, to switch our focus. We weren't, we weren't adept at online teaching yet at that point. So um, yeah, so it got pushed to this, this past spring, but yeah, I find the OAME conference so inspiring as a place to just hear what, what's happening all around the province um, and get different perspectives and, and ideas and possibilities of what could work to make uh, students' experiences better. Yeah, I think that captures sort of my experience with 
getting connected with OAME too. It wasn't until I was a math LST and that transformational time in our lives um, when we learned that OAME kind of was in existence even or paid attention to it maybe. I'd been part or I'd attended the local chapter, like Grand Valley Math Association, their conferences and events here in Waterloo, but I hadn't attended attended a provincial one. And since attending OME as a participant, uh, I've presented and then Carolyn and I have subsequently presented and now we're like a package deal and (laughs) we just (laughs) always do things together. (laughs) So last year at uh, OME Virtual 2021, you did uh, you two did a session called Using Portfolios to Develop Reflective Mathematicians in Grade 9. Um, you're going to be presenting that session at our, um, our OME Talks virtual session in, uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, I'm wondering if you get, could give us a little bit of a preview of what are you going to be covering in that session? Um, yeah, so we're playing around with the title a little bit. Uh, it was called Using Portfolios to Develop uh, Resilient Mathematicians. Do we use the word reflective? Do we use the word confident? So we're playing around with that that word a little bit, but it gets to the same idea. We, in our inner session, we talked about how we would use portfolios to provide some sort of summative assessment of our students. So uh, we'll talk in our session about um, kind of what led to the idea to use them. The main thing being that it was uh, a pandemic and we weren't in school and we were told that we were not having exams. And Actually, that was a little bit of a relief because we had found exams to be a little bit problematic in the past because it wasn't really consistent with the teaching style that we had adopted. So we had also been moving away from from using uh, letter or number grades and, and needed something more holistic. So we'll go into that a little bit. And then we'll talk about what we actually used for portfolios. I know there's all kinds of... Um, portfolio programs out there online, but we just used Google Slides. Keep it simple and use Google Slides. So we'll share some examples of what our portfolios looked like last year. They probably won't look the same this year, and we'll show some examples of what we're working on this year as well. And um, as with everything, we will share our iterations because if anybody knows Carolyn and me, we tend to try something and then totally change it for the next iteration. And <laughs> and so Carolyn's role last year was a bit different. Like at the end of the year, she was supporting our rollout of grade nine math. So she didn't get a chance to try as many iterations, but I will walk through some of the journey that we had with starting with a portfolio with our grade nine students and then it not going so well. And then changing it and like reflecting on that process and the changes that we put in place to actually have students gather their own evidence of what they had learned and how we really focused on them being reflective learners. And we link to tools that we use to help make that happen in a, in what made it a little bit more streamlined and um, less onerous process for us. 
And like with each iteration, we try to not only make the process easier and more efficient, but also make it so that kids were thinking more, reflecting more, and then showing more of what they had learned by the end of the course in this portfolio. So we talk about something called a learning log and that created a a space for them to record their thinking and then curate that in their portfolio. Um, And then the final thing that we share is our learning and any tips that we have to make these successful for the future. And so we found them very helpful for students to personalize their learning and make uh, the learning relevant to themselves. It was an amazing opportunity for us to collaborate as teachers and reflect on our practice because like anytime you bring people together, your ideas just make something better. And um, we will share how like this idea is not isolated to math and people are using these um, in other subjects also. So when I think of a portfolio, uh, I'm going to think, you know, in terms of uh, purely analog portfolio, like literally a folder of stuff. And uh, I assume, so it sounds like you're, you said you're using Google Slides. So students would, like Google Slides represents their their container of, yes, of items. Yeah. Is that right? So they would have like uh, like scanned versions of things that they've done or just they would be talking about what they've done. I'm, I'm curious of what kind of things actually go in this portfolio. Good question. Like originally our portfolios were kind of an end of end of semester thing um, where kids would take pictures or screenshots of what they had done and then put them in this container and explain why they had chosen these examples or um, describe why this showed that they had learned this concept or this process. And then we were finding that um, students to go back and find all the pieces of evidence was really onerous, depending on how we had set up our course. So then we found this learning log option where we can we could push out slides that we had created to students. And because we were online, we also used Google Slides as our teaching surface. So kids were collaborating on slides more so than Jamboard often. And they would like take pictures of those slides or pictures of their handwritten work, or they could do screen recordings and put those in to their logs. Um, In our third iteration of these, we included like a daily reflection slide where kids could choose something that we had done that day and describe how they had like collaborated with somebody or how they had showed their reasoning and proving skills or how they had um, had an aha moment. Like we had different prompts for them to choose so they could really decide how they wanted to reflect on what and how they were learning. And so this learning log became this bank of a lot of slides, depending on the kid. And then they just had to curate that to put into their portfolio. And then in addition to that, our third iteration of these portfolios included a new task. And we were trying to design these tasks where they involved some sort of creation component. So create a piece of Desmos art or create a scenario or look at, um, find a situation where you have to compare two uh, linear relations or linear 
um, yeah, than your relations to see which is the better deal. Like when would you choose one versus another? And we had students like choose things that were relevant to them. One student compared baking bread at home to buying bread. So what are the initial costs and the costs for the, anyway, she created graphs and tables and equations, but I would never have come up with that problem. And she did. So we had like uh, showcase tasks, we called them. So those were also something that went into this container. Yeah. So it became this culminating collection of evidence and pieces where they could show off what they had learned. And I'll add that when we were, online, this was kind of all that we had as evidence of students learning. Now that we're in the classroom and we can see those students in person and make more in-person observations, we can use it slightly differently as more of a focus on a reflection tool and and curating some of the things they've done. So they'll just add a screenshot of something that they've done even on vertical whiteboards that day or something like that. Yeah. So I imagine a very common question that you get uh, is how do you assess? Am I asking two big <laughs> questions? I'll, I'll, <laughs> the, like that, the, like those are, those are like my two big questions. Like how do you produce, you know, create these, these portfolios and then, you know, teachers, they always want to know like, okay, how do I mark this? I think that's an idea that's still iterating a little bit, <laughs> but we will share some uh, options and ideas. Definitely. <laughs> um, I guess we could say that Carolyn and I have been on this journey to move away from marks and grading, as we referred to before. And so we definitely involve students in the evaluation process. So, and we involve students in the evaluation process of these portfolios too. So do you get pushback from students, uh, parents, other teachers in the school, or like, like how, how is it accepted outside of your classroom compared to, you know, what maybe uh, would be a more traditional classroom? Last year during like hybrid and online teaching, I didn't get any pushback from parents about how things were being assessed. In fact, I got this very, like, I will probably keep this parent email till I retire because she, she appreciated so much like how our class, even though we were online, like the, the environment was such that her, her kid felt connected to the students and like just such a positive review of what um, her student had or her child had experienced in the classroom. I think because we teach grade nine, we probably, get less pushback than we might if we taught senior level courses. Um, but I strongly believe that like marks hinder learning and we can speak to that if we do get pushback from parents. And what about, and like, like, are you the only teachers doing this in the schools you're at or are there like, how, how is it accepted uh, from a school-wide perspective? With the rollout of the grade nine de-streamed course, and the role that Alita's in as an itinerant um, teacher coach, it's kind of a board-wide initiative to move toward using a portfolio for grade nine math in particular. And so it's very supported from our, at a board level. 
And I, I think the idea is growing on people. I think what this pandemic has taught us is that high stakes testing is not really the way to go and that we want to make students feel comfortable and confident and give them an opportunity to celebrate their learning instead of dwelling on the things that they didn't know or they didn't understand. So I think that's the the benefit that the portfolio gives us is it it gives us that opportunity for them to celebrate their growth. And I mean, of course, there's uh, not everybody is fully on board, but I think I think we've got a, a pretty good movement going in that direction. At our school, too, um, because we had that cross-curricular TLLP, which was focusing on feedback instead of grades, from like an assessment point of view as opposed to a portfolio point of view, although portfolios were very encouraged at our school last year, we do have like individual teachers in different departments who are exploring focusing on feedback instead of numerical feedback, like descriptive as opposed to numerical feedback. Like especially in the in our physics courses, there's a very big presence of no marks. Um, and definitely in some of our English and other courses too. So it's where we have sort of like some a community, a community, a scattered community at our school that's exploring this. And then throughout the board, there are people who have dabbled and um, de-streaming grade nine is a, it's an in additional incentive to just focus on learning and not focus on uh, numerical achievement. So that being said, in your first few iterations were was in the old curriculum. Now we're uh, a month and a half into the new curriculum. How has the new grade nine math curriculum affected how you're doing uh, portfolios or has it? I think the curriculum itself hasn't had too much of an impact on how, because um, we had been moving towards, as an example, we had been moving towards having like being very explicit about the mathematical processes before they were part of the evaluation component of a course, like the new curriculum is articulating. And so we had, like Carolyn and I have been intentional about making sure that we were like teaching some of the mathematical processes and having students reflect on how they were developing those skills. Um, so that part of our, our learning logs is definitely active. And because we are in person now, as Carolyn said, we're using the learning logs as a, a container like you referred to, uh, or a space for kids to put their, their records of what they take away each day. So that when we get to the portfolio, it's, uh, they have the, that already, like that selection. While we were online, we would create tasks for them to do mathematical tasks that we would send to their slideshows. And that was kind of like our way of gathering individual evidence of what they knew. Um, and we don't need to do that as much because we can see it happen live in front of us. Okay. So we don't want to give away the entire talk here. I know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we wanted, we wanted to tease some ideas out and I appreciate you two talking to me today to give us an idea of what we'll be hearing on November 10th. And uh, so I appreciate you, you coming out and we will see you in a few weeks. 
All right. Sounds great. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Thanks, David. That was Carolyn Gingrich and Alita Klassen talking about their upcoming members-only webinar using portfolios to develop resilient mathematicians in grade 9. The webinar will run at 8 p.m. on November 10th, and there is still time for OME members to register at our MCIS registration site. You'll find the link in the description. Next month, we'll be talking to Kathy Chaput about her December webinar entitled Count on Great Assessment. So until then, stay safe, and we'll be back next month.